0: Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Chad. I'm Tyler. We're radio Silence. I'm Tom, and this is the crawl,
1: Welcome to crawl With radio silence.
2: We're here with uh, Owen Granite Young and Warren Hendricks, Hi. the two sound guys who are behind the audio in a lot of projects. We've known Warren for. How long have we known you now, Warren? That's about. Four years? Four years, yeah. Four years now? Jesus. And uh, we've known you, we've known <laughs> Owen, we've known you even longer. We worked with you on... VHS One. On the first VHS. So I was years. like, you
1: guys got Devils do right hours. Yeah, so five Man. years.
2: Uh, and, and you guys have, you have done everything, really, and like you've, you've sort of run the experience in sound. You both are working now as sound designers on Southbound. Uh, Warren, you you worked as the sound, the re-recording mixer, yep, and fine. Owen as the sound designer, and um, Thanks for coming in, dudes. It's good to, drink a beer. Yeah. good to drink a beer with you and talk mm-hmm. to you guys.
0: Let's just start with, like, what yeah. is your role, like, on a movie? Like, how do you guys get involved in it, and then what's your basic role? Like, and this is going to be different for every project, so... Well,
3: it's different for each each of us as well.
0: Right, yeah. We both run in
3: different circles, too, so...
1: Yeah, we've actually both... We, we had this talk during Southbound kind of figuring that out, so we actually have both come up through very... The, the two main different paths. Yeah. Where he's been studio from start to finish, and... I've never been in a studio.
0: <laughs> but I actually remember meeting you on Devil's Do on the uh, Skype. Yeah, he was yeah, Skype, Skype. And I and, you know, Harlacker and Jason came in and were like, okay, so here's, you know, we're going to. And I literally remember being like, so wait, what exactly does he do? Yeah. Like, I don't really know what, you know, because we yeah. were like learning, we love, learning as we've we go. We've only ever done this ourselves. Yeah.
2: Why do we need to hire this, some
0: other and we were guy? Like, to so do we this? send him the reels <laughs> and then they or come back sandwich. way better? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So maybe let's start there. Let's start with the studio path. And then we'll go into Owen's. Okay,
3: so for sound guys, there's, I think, two different paths before even getting to the studio versus indie path, and that's most people start off either as um, musicians and then find their way to doing sound for film, or most people start off as film students and find their love for doing sound when they're doing the regular film studies. So for me, I was a musician, um, a terrible one. Um, (laughs) What did you play? uh, Guitar and bass, but uh, I got into producing bands when I was in college, and actually, I was going to be a lawyer, switched my major over to doing recording arts for some crazy reason, and uh, I produced a bunch of bands when I was in college, Um, and I also worked at the projection booth for the film school, and most of my friends came through that projection booth job, and then they all started making their student films, so I just kind of started doing them. This is Loyola Loyola Marymount? Loyola Marymount, yeah. And then my professor... Um, I ended up doing being a TA for him for all of his film sound classes. When I graduated, somebody he knew needed a guy to do an indie gig. I did it. Later found out that this guy that needed the person was one of the heads of the sound department at Fox. And when I was done, they needed a you know librarian, so they hired me. So I got a job like... When you uh, say librarian... Uh, sound sound effects librarian so
2: (laughs) you went from being a guitar a guitar guy (laughs) to a librarian yeah
3: (laughs) no suck dick guitar (laughs) so it's not that far of a jump so like two three weeks out of college i had a job at fox in the sound department so it just ended up being a path that kind of unfolded in front of me and I've just ran with it ever since. You know, it's, I for, fortunately have fallen in love with it since it's kind of fell in my lap and was something that as I started to do it at in college and stuff, you know, that love developed and has not left and, if anything, gotten stronger. As I figured out how to do it and gotten better at it and, you know, not just guess the whole way like we all do through film school and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, and so... Was it
0: like an apprenticeship when you were starting there? And so no, it was like, a full job. I mean, but when you were the librarian, how did you move from there to sound designer so
3: uh the path if you go this path isn't available anymore um but it was when i was there um is to start as sort of i was technically a post pa but i worked for the sound department and i worked cataloging the um, sound effects library and converting it at the time from dats to cds and then eventually from cds to hard drive as the digital format started you know making their way through the industry
2: and does that does this path not exist anymore because of where we're kind of at with with the tech of
3: no the path doesn't exist anymore because of the way that the studio system has had to cut down on post-production budgetarily gotta save studios gotta save money yeah so (laughs) the first positions to go are the entry-level ones yeah and so they, they don't exist anymore that's why the path isn't there you know devils do i was the only effects guy i i cut all the effects designed all the effects mixed dialogue effects and music for all the temps and then on the final i mixed effects and music and we brought in a dialogue mixer like that's as bare bones as you can get to get a show like that into a studio format i mean things are expensive stages are expensive our rooms are expensive so
2: and that was more people than i think we'd Ever seen in a room at a time on 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 one of our projects? I mean, what is a typical room? Like you just worked on the new X Men at its max. What is that room? Yeah, what's the how is that that room staffed? Like when it's at its when it's at its max. The mix stage. Um.
3: So on X Men during the final, we had between sixteen and twenty people, depending on on at what stage in the final you're at. Um. Just for the sound sound department. Um. On Transformers. Back before we had gone full digital, and we still had a bit of a mix, um, I think we were up in the mid twenties for Transformers Two or something like that. Planet of the Apes recently, the, the most recent one, I didn't work on it, but they they got a bit out of control and ended up with a bunch of, of crew, and and I think they ended up in the mid twenties. And a crew like that is like it's massive.
0: All right, then Owen, what about you? What was your
1: my trajectory? Yeah. Um, I played the flute.
3: Almost all sound guys have very similar stories. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh but I, I got into film in college. I went to Hampshire College out in Massachusetts. It's, uh, I like to call it hippie school for hippies. We have no <laughs> tests. We have no grades. Your last year, you take one class per semester, and the rest of the time is dedicated to a single project of your own devising. So, uh, it's, uh, very self-directed. If you, uh... Want to smoke your way through four years of college and graduate with an 80-page paper? You can do that. Good, good for you. Good, good spending of your money and your parents' money. If you really want to do something there, you really can, which is awesome. Um, Where did you fall? In I that? fell on the ladder. I'd, I, not to brag, but yeah, I fell on the ladder. I fell on the ladder after my first year of college, which I absolutely squandered. You know, I was still in that high school mentality where, like, work, school, school, you just gotta do what you gotta do to, like, get my B's and cool, then I'll get through school. But I looked back after my first year, I was like, well, shit, I did nothing. Hmm. Better want to be here if I want to be here. And so starting the following year, I came back and really tried to find things that excited me. And if I didn't like a class, I'd drop it. And if the teacher gave me an assignment and I wanted to do more, I'd make a point of doing more than it. Because what you had to do to get by there was, like, this much... So you had to want to be there. Uh, so I took a couple electronic music classes and 16mm film classes and stuff, and I'm, I met a couple buddies and we were making movies, and I find myself really frustrated at, well, why, why, don't, why don't our movies feel like movies? You know, like, we know how to light, we know how to cut, we know how to shoot this stuff. Like, what, what's, what's wrong here? What, why missing. isn't this working? Yeah. And, uh, and it was this realization of the suspension of disbelief that sound brings, is that if we do our job right... It makes you believe this story and elevates this world so much more, and you have no clue why. yeah,
2: that, I, I would say that that's it's more important than any of the other components. If you have audio, you can create something around it. If that's missing, you don't there's nothing there's no real anchor to anything else that's happening. I worked on this this weird show where they, we uh, I interviewed Lowell Bergman. Uh, Who was you know big big time news you know news guy and that was the thing that he said to every single person he ever he ever talked with who ever asked him about like how do I what's the most important thing if I'm like out you know telling a story and his first answer was always sound make sure you have sound you can fill in the gaps with with images of your choosing but if you don't have audio you, you like your story sort of ceases to exist it doesn't have any gravity it doesn't really have any. You any know, presents.
1: So, yeah. So then I decided, oh, well, this, this seems like a good thing to do. And I have a, a creative space that I can keep playing in. And we're below the line, so people pay us for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's pretty nice. And Not so... us. We don't pay you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I had always been, like, encouraged to have creativity in my job, but, you know, also be able to pay the bills. So I spent the next three years or so in college doing that and lived in Massachusetts for a couple years afterwards, did some projects out of uh, New York, and just did other people's student films, same deal. Uh, Me and two of my friends made our uh, college thesis. It was like a 45-minute short film. Um, We had a whole manifesto about how, you know, it's funny, because I met you guys, and I was like, oh, this this isn't working, because we had this whole manifesto about how filmmaking doesn't need to be like an auteur at the top it can be like a band makes music you know it could be a collaborator where everybody totally. brings their different strengths together and really makes this thing as a team so we wrote it together we produced it together we edited it together i did sound my friend directed the actors my other friend shot it you know uh, we even had this whole like hot seat rotation thing where if somebody was getting stressed out being the person doing the cutting someone else would swap there and the other person would be like no all right cut that cut that and the third person would not pay attention until they could look up and be like you guys... Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Look at <laughs> this, you know? And so, so yeah, so we made our film that way. Um, that's great, though. I mean, obviously, that's how we feel,
0: too. Like, yeah. And honestly, our experiences, both of our experiences with you and with Southbound, it was like this, where it was like, here's a group of 40 fucking people. Let's all make something together.
1: Right. Like, yeah, very, very weird. So my friend who directed the actors springboarded the film into AFI. And so when he got into AFI, I came out here. Took a sideline to the Democratic Republic of Congo for a year, and did a French-language family drama there. Um. (laughs) Should be its own podcast. That's 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 kind of a long story. But it was a good experience, uh, production through post-audio, and yeah, and so when I came, and I came back to do my friend's thesis, and did a couple other theses, and they were great because, you know, AFI is a really cool place, and they don't have a sound department. So they have producers, they have DPs, they have uh, editors, they AFI have. AFI doesn't have. They have no sound department. That's insane. That seems like a huge oversight. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like I said, we're still below the line. We're not seen. Yeah, as these a programs creative... like right, they serve the sort of top. You know, we're not seen <clears throat> as a creative voice. We're not seen. We're we're seen as as a service to it, which frankly, I don't have a problem with generally. So you learn um, through like
2: a like a mentor and just through experience. It sounds like you, it's a very like self-actualized way of getting into things. If you don't have, if there's no program that's going to teach you specifically what the path is, you sort of find it yourself. It sounds like.
3: Yeah. There's no path. Yeah. You I'm... just love it. And you oh, that's do the short again. answer to our, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I had a call from a guy. You went to university of Arizona, right? Yeah. Some kid that I met last year, um, doing a sort of a charity project. Um, he wants to either write or get into sound. And I told him that I actually think that it might be not easier, but there are paths that you can tell somebody to do, to write, but to get into to sound, especially when it comes to like studio sound, I don't know how to tell somebody to do that anymore. The path is, is broken. Um, like I said, cause the entry level positions are gone and the union is a roadblock to even mid-level positions drawing from new talent. So you kind of have to just start doing it, and it kind of eventually will fall in front of you, but like so there's no there's no when you're on
2: a show and there's someone who's like quote sort of new to the process, are they just brought in by is it is it like a friend bringing a friend on kind of a thing it's it's really like a who you It's know, like construction sort of, work yeah, yeah
1: you know like through those aFI films, I met my good friend Brett, now good friend Brett Hinton, and we hit it off, and since then. We've done X number of projects, including VHS-1, VHS-2 together. Yeah. You know, and at a certain point, he got tapped uh, to go do Alcatraz. And that's a union show. It's a TV show. And when he got the show, I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to just do my own thing for the next year or two. And at some point, they're going to need somebody. And Brad will be able to say, oh, you should hire my buddy, Owen. So I think it was like two years later, Almost Human rolled around, sci-fi TV show, and his boss went, do you know good sci-fi effects editors? And uh, I've been doing TV since then, but it's yeah. It's just you know somebody you're reliable, you mm-hmm. communicate well, you're trustworthy. Good at your job, <clears throat> and you're good at your job. <clears throat> got to be good at your job too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You still got to You still got to <laughs>
3: run with the opportunities when they present themselves, right? So, what would you guys? What would you? What would you
2: say has changed over the course of you're just getting interested to kind of where where you're at now? What's the if you could look back at the kid who just started, you know, with an interest in sound years ago, and give them like a piece of advice on on sort of what you know now, what would you say? Like, how is that, how has that
1: evolved for you? You want to go first?
3: Um, no.
1: <laughs> right. I got my answer. It's easy. Go. Uh, the first is just seat time. There's this thing. There's this great article uh, that Skip Livesey, that he did on Skip Livesey a while ago. and mean. And he used that particular phrase, and I was like, oh, that, that's it. It's just doing more of it. Just straight seat time. And the other one, I would say, is collaboration. Is meet other sound people who you like working with, learning things from each other. I'm constantly learning new things from other sound people. You know, and, and likewise sharing my things. And even if it's simple as like, oh, if you use this short, it's that much faster to do that. But really seat time and collaboration.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite things during when you got on Southbound, and we've been working with you... Was watching YouTube when we were all losing our minds about we have to get this cut done in eight hours or whatever, <laughs> and was watching YouTube nerd out, and be like, wait, what is all this stuff? Oh my god! And do me exactly <laughs> what you're we talking about, where yeah. it was like we're all losing our minds, and you guys were probably also a little bit, but seemed but to but be you, enjoying the, like, but, I mean, the for us, it, yeah, like, I mean, the tech of it, yeah, the creativeness.
3: There's a different. That's the one, the hardest thing I think about being a director especially when you get to the point where you realize that people are better at certain aspects of than you uh, of doing things during all, the film all of right them. Well, yeah <laughs> <laughs> which means that it's ceding control right so you guys get to sit and fret on the back of the couch while he and I have this overwhelming amount of work but we're we know that we're competent at this point right. and we'll get it done and that the process of it can be fun or it can be shit just depending on how we approach it totally and we both approached it the same way as like, we're here, let's do this. It'll be as fun as possible. Yeah, it's going to suck for part of it. But we were in control of that because we're the ones doing the work. So we got to put our nervous energy into actually making the product. Well, you guys had to sit that back there and be like, what the fuck are those two nerds but doing? Then that, <laughs> but then that rubbed off on us
0: because we'd sit there and be like, oh, God, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. And then you're like, we can do this. And would be yeah. like, These guys are are having fun, like they're enjoying. You guys can do it, then cool, you know. And it becomes like a. I mean, it's contagious. Yeah.
3: Um, One of the the great lessons that I've got from um, some of the the mixers that I've worked with, because mixing and sound designing are really different jobs. Um, And let's talk about that a little bit too. After, yeah. So um, the mixers that I've talked to, um, one in particular, Doug Hempel. He likes to always tell me a quote um i don't remember who it's from but it's not his um where he says people don't always remember what you do but they'll always remember how you make them feel and so for him one of the big things that a mixer's job is is to always make the client feel confident about their film good about the environment that they're working in and a part of the 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 process and a lot of that is how you interact and, and how you present things, but it's never your job as a mixer to like tell somebody that they're wrong because that makes them not confident in what they're making and it makes them not trust you and right. not feel like you're on board with them.
1: This is actually a very important good point about yeah. the subjectivity of sound. Yeah. You know, you hire us because we know what we think this should sound like, but we also, as as sound people, know that Sound is an incredibly subjective form, and if I think that door slam sounds like that, and that's how it should sound, but it's your film, and you think it sounds like something else, who am I to tell you otherwise?
0: Yeah. Well, do you build a relationship then with certain people? Like the more like we work together, you could be like, I mean, I hate this fucking sound, guys.
3: Yeah, and and then we'd be like, okay, yes, because that relationship is there, and I mean, I couldn't tell you that at the beginning because then the feeling out process between people is the same versus in in client and, and. and sound people the way that it is for anything. Like, as you get more comfortable, like, I can tell you, no, Matt, I think that's a terrible idea. And you know that I'm not doing something personal at you or the film or our process. Totally. You know that I'm giving you my honest opinion as a person that is very happy to be a part of your process.
0: Right, and, right. and we build up a trust, you, you, so then i would be yeah. like, okay, And you we'll know be- that
3: I have your project's best interest at heart
0: mm-hmm.
3: when I'm saying that, and not just because I disagree with you and I think I know better. Like,
0: right, even though you probably do.
1: Well,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's a given.
0: Either, Either or, good
1: day. good sound work comes from a place of humbleness. Yeah, for sure. Like as
3: soon as you think you're hot shit on a sound stage, that's when you're gonna fall. Um, you got to remember your 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 place. Like we, you know, we talk about below the line. Um, and there's Hollywood definitely has sort of a case system. And you once you are in a position of success in anything, and you step out of that people will make sure that you find your way back. And it's not always going to be like an easy path. Somebody might just take you aside, something you might get the hammer down on you in some form, but it will come back to you. Um, So staying humble is, especially in sound is always good because um, it helps you have the right attitude about your projects as well as keeping you safe from the repercussions of you being just a complete idiot. Like we're sound guys. Like,
2: I mean, you, know. you could probably <laughs> perform
3: some form of open-heart surgery,
0: maybe two of them no. together, but... No. That was so what me- is the, the, let's talk about mixing and sound design.
3: I've heard a number of analogies made, and they all always make somebody mad. Like, <laughs> it's either going to make the editors and sound designers mad, or it's going to make the mixers mad. Um, one case is um, somebody used the analogy of the... Uh, if the directors are out to a meal and they're served a meal um the chefs and the people making the meal are the editors and sound designers and the people serving the meal are the mixers now mixers, so mixers take, don't like that yeah mixers <laughs> don't like that no. <laughs> why
1: not <laughs> but that's a terrible analogy <laughs> I think How I'm offended like that? by that. I have no idea what you're talking uh, about. A lot of mixer, and that's still a bad analogy. But it's
3: it's actually not that yeah. far off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, the mixer is presenting the final product of a lot of people's work. At that
2: point, they're taking all of the ingredients and delivering, and basically delivering. Though there is some wow. creative wow. agency it, it's, in it's, that, right?
3: Plating? It, yeah, it's it's the presentation. Yeah, like okay. they're 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 creating the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for the people eating like if you go to a super fancy restaurant and you know the Get waiter comes out and like pours out of yeah, yeah, like the, the frozen <laughs> nitrogen crap and like freezes your duck or whatever like frozen you know the, the things that makes make something special like right that's the part that a mixer brings to it it's the shine and the sheen um a sound designer's job is to create the elements that make up the soundtrack Um, along with a whole lot of other people you know, the dialogue department, ADR department. Foley. Foley like all these things are made to make the soundtrack as good as possible and also to provide a number of options to both the mixers and the the clients to get what they want like, you know, you could have a slow-mo sequence that you play with and oh we want to go full sound design no no that doesn't work let's try music video oh no that doesn't work but if you don't have those things available you can't try everything right right so sometimes you get into those situations on a final mix where you're trying to figure out the best way to present something music versus effects you know verbed out versus non-verbed out you know making something intimate versus making something dreamy like all those decisions need to be made but you need to have all the options available make it
2: cooler but those, together. but those, but those decisions are made in the mixing stage, in the and mixing not in the design yes, but stage. But the
3: design's responsibility is to have all those options available, or right. to have eliminated the ones as much as possible before they get there, right. and to prevent and to provide the best possible um, version of things that have been decided upon, and mm-hmm. to, in some cases, invent um, things out of you know nowhere to, to create stuff.
1: Um, on the fly, really okay. fast. Yeah,
3: sometimes sometimes <laughs> it has to, you know, you get to the stage and the mix comes together and the design element that you've been working on f- with the directors for six months and they love completely clashes with the music. And nobody's going to go off and make the composer recompose and rescore and, and go back to the orchestra and have them re-record all that. No, you have to redesign everything right then and there because and, you've got a print master, you know, tomorrow um sorry that's that's another tangent but that's how all the the, <laughs> the, the pieces of this of the sound people work together because it's not just a, a good cohesive sound department is a lot of people doing a lot of important jobs that come together to make this sort of great product and ultimately the end game the last phase before it gets finished is the mixing and that's the ability to take all these things... And right, that's like
2: the funnel is the mixing. Everything's being sort of poured yeah, it, into this yeah, final filter. It's
3: the presentation, it's the interaction with the client to figure out what they want, how best to serve it to them. And really balancing... I mean it's about balance. I know you guys talk a lot yeah. about when
2: something sounds It's about sounds balance off, and it's about it's, choice. Yeah, that the the balance is off. Like are you favoring dialogue are you favoring music? How are those things competing with with everything else? I mean, I don't I don't know if people understand like what what the sort of bandwidth we have sonically yeah. is when we're sitting in a theater and why I can hear that voice, but it still feels like I'm in the middle of this like raging party and mm-hmm. what it takes to mix an effect like that, to make those things both coexist at the same time. I think that, you know, we take that for granted because it's a it's part of like our movie watching vocabulary that we've just seen so many times. But there's like so much craft that goes into. Yeah.
1: Well, filling that out. it comes back to what I was telling you about, about suspension of disbelief. You know, like, our ears are constantly doing all sorts of a compressing and EQing and so forth so that you can have that conversation with somebody in the middle of a loud party. But right. if you were to shoot that scene in the middle of a loud party and everybody was yelling at the top of their voices, the microphone would have no clue where to look. So I think for the full layperson, person, a lot of people don't know that when they're shooting that party scene, all the people around yeah. them are just mouthing, they're just pretending to talk and yell at each other and, and move around so that the dialogue scene between these two characters is recorded as clean as possible yeah, and right. then we'll go in and we'll put the crowd yelling, we'll see someone behind and go hey, what's going on? and we'll have someone in an ADR booth watch them and go, hey, what's going on? <laughs> so that we can set that at the level that is the same level that your ears would hear that relative to this, con- this intimate conversation you're having at the party is mm-hmm. um, I mean, and everything that... is
0: designed Mm-hmm. that it's yeah. all like everything yeah. even the yeah. smallest things
3: you know yes yeah. to, to the smallest detail we we as much as possible to make a good track we have to build it from the ground up you know well and this, is a, and this is with the footsteps and like Correct. hand cats yeah. and even cloth movement and stuff like that and this like, is another tangent
2: but you also have to do that stuff because when you deliver sound elements you're they they go off to various different processes. They go to international distributors that have to recreate a sequence that doesn't have a dialogue track so that they can dub everything. I mean, there there is... So so basically, having a clean slate, having silence, and then you building a scene from that with various elements is is the most preferred thing. I mean, it sounds crazy, and it sounds like the it's hardest... Not- Thing, but...
1: Necessarily the most preferred thing, no. <clears> though. <throat> yeah, Sometimes but... a perfect production track. Yeah. There's right. nothing. There's nothing, nothing fucking like it. Yeah. yeah. How kid... often do you get those? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: it
3: depends on the type of film. Yeah, it really depends on the type of film.
1: Like intimate
0: character like, drama filmed in an apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Get them pretty easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Busy also, streets, not so easy. I think it also depends on the mix aesthetic. You know, if you watch European films versus American films the way they play their foley, the way they play their diegetic sound is much much more upfront in a way yeah. than a lot of the way that America mixes its, its mo- well, mu-
3: movies. You can even tell a mix uh, based on the location of city and in, in the states. Like, I can hear a, a show that was mixed in New York and say that was mixed in New York. And I can hear a show that was done by Skywalker and say that's a Skywalker show. And I can hear a show that's done in L.A. and tell you that it's an L.A. show just by listening and not knowing who did it. That's,
2: that's that's so incredible. wild yeah, yeah can, you, like so, a, can you actually like go talent. into that a little bit in any way like <laughs> yeah if you I mean, yeah, I, anything I, that we sure. could like listen for to it's understand. just it's just
3: aesthetic it, it's like he's yeah. saying there's a european aesthetic to filmmaking there's a new york uh uh, uh, uh aesthetic to sound design and, and filmmaking and then there's the big ass hollywood aesthetic that we do here and then um, Skywalker, and this is going to sound degrading, Skywalker's made the the best sound effects and the best-sounding films ever, but they love to make things sound cutesy. Like, everything's cutesy. Like, the smallest effect it ha- it has to be, like, um, something that you'll never forget, and that's how they approach everything. And some films that's great for, and some moments it's great for, and sometimes it gets old.
0: But It's so, like nothing's a throwaway. Nothing's, nothing's just a, throwaway.
3: a foot yeah. on the floor.
2: Um, and all that stuff, a lot of that stuff is created... I mean, it's really
3: created. It's not just recorded, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, it's run through. Like they they love performing their sounds. You know, R two D two is a great example. Like, it's it's a, an, an emotive robot, right? That's built through beeps. But somebody went through and figured out how to craft those beeps into something that communicated and made you feel something. And that's what Skywalker is amazing at. Nobody does anything like them, but they it just makes for a certain type of soundtrack that you can readily identify when you hear anything that they do Mm um new york you know is more closely to european yeah they do more backgrounds backgrounds the production tracks a big deal Mm -hmm. um you know scorsese films things like that they're more based in that sort of reality right this kind of natural soundscape yeah um, they don't need to be so hardcore built out in, as far as environments and, and backgrounds and stuff like that. And we'll, we, in Hollywood, we definitely go for the more full, like you know, big sort of Hollywood sound with our films. Um, so once you get to the point where you, you know, like us, where you listen to stuff all the time and you start to know people. Like I know people that work in New York. I know what their films sound like. You know, the, you can even have, like, people, ha- you know, not just cities. People have movies that sound mm. like their films. Their
2: own fingerprints. Right. <laughs> the idea that sound is this really subjective thing is so is so cool and so interesting. I mean, what do you think is sort of creatively your the calling card that you look to bring to something when you sit down to work on it?
3: Honestly, for me, I'm still figuring it out.
2: Yeah. I mean, cutesy. Both of you guys are just cutesy <laughs> stuff <laughs> all the cutesy, time. Guys. cutesy
1: memorable. Yeah. <laughs> For me, still, it's very much what the film is telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and part of the reason I love working on a lot of different genres and so forth, I mean, like, it, it was so funny to me to start working on horror because I didn't watch horror as a kid. I, was, I, was, I have a terrible, like, jump-scare, like, Twitch, and I, I just didn't watch horror as a kid. It's so much for me is just watching the film and it telling me what it wants um, as far as mood and tone and, mm-hmm. and voice. So yeah, with Warren, and L- I, don't, I can't say like, well, my thing is the blah, 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 blah. But for you sure. but you definitely, <laughs> but I mean, sitting in the room with both of you guys it's,
2: uh, and, and watching you make choices based on your taste, I mean, that's coming from something, that's coming from like a creative, a subjective, creative point of view. I mean, is it, Absolutely. Is it, for, it for you, is it about, is it a feeling thing or is it creating fidelity? Like where do you sort of, where does that begin for you?
3: Well, again, that really just comes out of the project product. Um and and the scene, like it, it it's hard to say that one's more important than the other. Like I think there are moments um where say Southbound, for example. Um the the last reel where the, the earthquake happens and the monster appears from the ground and and the, the reapers come out of the, the dead bodies and all that stuff. Spoilers. Like obviously <laughs> Everybody who's listening to this yeah. podcast has watched Southbound. <laughs> <laughs> Um You obviously can't play that realistically, right? So to even try right. would be stupid because it's not calling for that. Um, but like the uh, the scene where the daughter is trapped in the uh, in the closet and the dude comes in and we played with this is totally um, not realistic, but we tried to make it feel realistic because we had ADR. And we played with verb as he was approaching right. away, it made him seem very distant as he got really close to camera. We really got really dry on the verb, so it felt like for that moment it was right. right. The proximity proper. was, yeah, yeah. So, and that's something that's not real, but is based in the reality of how the audience is viewing that. Right. Um, both of those, you know, all moments are dictated by what's called for for the scene. And Maybe um, other people would have done them differently. Um, maybe they would have been better. Maybe they would have been worse. That's just how we decided to do it. But that's, I think, when we watched and we were all working together, that's what makes sense.
1: Right. Yeah. For me, it's, the story comes first, always. Yeah. And I think anybody who gets caught up in the, like, doing their technical part of their thing right and, like, well, I need to make sure these things. But you can see that person's like, I don't, I don't give a fuck what it looks like there if it doesn't feel right yeah, for the story. Right. <laughs> it's about what, what best tells the story, and that might be pulling everything out but that footstep. And that might be putting way more than is what is in there. And and that is, that is straight subjective, and that's straight your feeling and your director's feeling, and the two of you being on, or the four of you, or whoever many people you are, being on the same page together, being like, this is what we want to do. Can we try this, you know? Um, we talk a lot about how when
2: something feels like it's not working... Uh, very often it, there's something not working sonically, right? That that it's it's on a subconscious level. Something is just, it doesn't feel right. There's something sort of jarring. Even, you can even get through an entire movie that's fine and just be like, I don't know. There's something kind of that felt off about it. And oftentimes there's just, Th- that whatever whatever is off is either a sound problem or could have been that gap could have been filled. You guys with, are responsible for all with the Right, amount of, but it's but it's such an important. It's a, it's well, look, so significant. I, I in don't how we
1: say this and I say this again. Sound is fifty percent of your viewing experience. You're using for your sure. eyes and you're using your ears. We give you, we bring fifty percent of your viewing experience to the to the to the show. And I take pride in the fact that when we do our job right, nobody knows what we did. You know, like the first feature I ever did back in 2008, uh, this, this New York feature called the unidentified, really fun little film, like a lot of backgrounds, (laughs) 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 but, but the director showed his dad after picture lock and then the the director's dad came to the premiere, you know, and after the premiere ended, he ran up to his he ran up to his son and he was like. What did you do? What, what did you? Th- well, you must have changed this. Did you? Did you cut this part out? The film's just so much better. He's like, no, Dad, we just did the sound. It's like, no, no, I don't believe you. You you changed things in yeah. the movie. You know, and it's like a perfect example of us doing our job right and elevating the film, and nobody understanding why.
0: I mean, honestly, our experience on Southbound was very similar, mm-hmm. where we had a festival mix. It wasn't what we wanted, and then I mean, you know how we felt. We couldn't even watch it, and then you guys were. We didn't do shit from there to the end.
2: Yeah, and nothing now changed I can watch the movie. It's just huge. There's this idea that like when it's when you're at the stage where you're mixing that the film is that whatever the project is 90% done, it's actually only like 60% done. really the finishing of the movie happens in those like last stages when you're doing the sound and the color. That's what makes it actually become become a polished finished
1: which, thing. Which circles so much also back around to Warren's last comment about Presenting the film to to the directors and a collaborative final place. You know this is to a certain extent. Who is it? Uh, Walter Murch. Walter Murch talked about part of a sound person's job is being the uh, people who give birth. Others. The mothers. The midwife. The midwife of this film because yeah. you are. These are the final throes of the film's labor and you're like sending it off into the world after that. That's such a merchy. It's a very merch yeah. thing. <laughs> What? Are
2: there are there any scenes that stick out to you guys moments in films that you've worked on that you feel like that give you nightmares that you just toiled, like you toiled over them for so long or a certain sound that was just felt impossible that maybe even now in a, as a finished product you didn't feel like you quite got the thing that you wanted. I mean like but she- I mean come on But yeah but like what's like It's, specific- it's
1: like it's like you have it's the same sure. kind of picture cuz you're editing.
2: always against the clock and there's all right you you're never you're finished the sure. abandoned yeah. Yeah. But is it-
3: I guess for me is the the fairies for the for Snow White and the Huntsman in the in the forest um i've talked to you guys about that a million times at this point but it when got it, really dark yeah it's just that scene for me when i think of it i, I like i it just brings up bad bad memories like the, i think this what we ended up with is actually kind of cool um but the process to get it there was so hard that it's never going to be something that i ever feel proud of um even that whole movie, I feel that way. I've had a lot of people tell me that that movie had a lot of great-sounding stuff in it, but I'll never feel proud of it just because it was such a bear to get through. How did you ultimately end up creating that sound? What was the... Oh... Can you talk about it? Yeah, the uh, the final moment that finally made stuff come together, we'd done a ton of different versions of it. Um, it was really hard. We never knew what the fairies were going to look like. Um they were always in question up till the very end and then eventually the director said something about um tuning forks or something like that mm-hmm. and so i took that and i found some tuning fork sounds and i took and made those into these various sort of popping and they i think eventually he wanted them to be more like teleporting around so they go pop 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 rather than like very dusting through the air, and, and, you know, visually that's what we had, but eventually that's what he wanted. He wanted it to be more of a teleporting sort of thing. And so these sort of hard hits of a, of a, of a tuning fork that go into a tonal sort of thing, um, ultimately that's what he finally responded to, and that's what led us down the path of where we ended up. Now we did eventually put tails on that because they did, you know, end up being flying around versus teleporting. It didn't quite right. work at the final product, but... Um, it's eventually what got him on board to finding a direction that he was happy with, um, at least happy enough to move on, <laughs> 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 which is how I feel about that That sound. That's something everybody was finally happy enough to move on, but never like, yes, that's perfect. Mm.
2: Let's just move on to some of those like successful stories then, like some things that you guys might be proud of or some things that maybe you discovered um, working with other artists that uh, that really just sort of showcase... Um, successful design, successful mixing, how an audience might be able to interact with that when they're viewing the
3: final picture. One of my favorite ones actually is with Owen when we found that piano note. Oh, yeah. Oh. And Pats. <laughs> and Pats, yeah.
1: Shout out to the, this is the composers right here. Yeah. For sure.
3: Um, yeah, the jailbreak segment of Southbound.
2: Yeah. It's the
3: yeah. fourth segment. Yeah, when we were... I still remember the moment we were like, I think everybody else was talking, and for some reason you and I were listening, and... (laughs) How often does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you guys are actually pretty focused, especially, you know, with there being so many of you, at least one of you is usually listening pretty intently, but there was this, it was a room full of people, everybody was talking behind us, and it was just Owen and I listening, and I was sorting through the musical elements, trying to figure out how to... Make this scene work, and it had this really. I was actually kind of focused at the time on this really cool tapping sound. Um, we should not oh, like that. that this is so when well. the yeah. David oh. Yao character
0: goes to find his sister in Pat's segment of that. Yeah,
3: album. so he's the you had that
1: right in the Delta.
3: Yeah, he. he oh. They come in and they just kind of had this big sort of fight and laugh, and you know, sci-fi door, and then the door closes, and they're in this weird place, and they look around, and there's this tapping sound down the hall and in in the mix that we had before it it was just kind of there and and i thought you know it'd be really great if this is what led them to the sisters this sound not just them randomly exploring but this is like almost her calling them to her so i started placing it tapping it and then um i had the music all muted and then i got the the tapping sound to where i thought was really cool was doing what i wanted it to and then i was like okay now it's time to put the music back in and see if it works, and it just didn't work. Like the music, as it was, was covering up the whole idea. So I had to start sorting through all the elements, and O and I were listening, trying to pick stuff out, and we found um, this one like single piano note that uh, was in the score, right when he looks over and sees his sister for the first time. And it was so emotional just by itself because I was selling all the elements. I was like, "Oh my god, I got goosebumps!" And I think Owen oh, and I were just
1: like, "That's <laughs> nuke everything else." Yeah, <laughs> That's all and we need. so it was like we
3: pared down so much of the score to allow the tapping to do its job, and then to allow the and then the the piano piece to have its impact because a single piano note it wasn't even like a hard one; it was like lightly touched. Like,
2: yeah, it was kind of it was kind of
3: this sort of ethereal has yeah. this ethereal quality to it. So we carved out, like, everything so and made it really simple so that the focus of our attention of the scene was really the tapping and then the sort of swell of emotion could come in as he saw his sister for the first time in 20 years or whatever and the piano really pull at the heartstrings as you're watching it. Um, that was one of my favorite things that I've done in the last, you know, four or five years was crafting that moment.
2: Well, I mean, having seen the version, having seen the version of that scene before, and then, you know, with this, this discovery that the two of you guys made, I mean, it was, it was always, and this is one of those moments where you're like, yeah, it doesn't not work. But then when it works like that, you understand like, wait, this is, this is the perfect, these are the, these two parts of the process totally complementing one another and it was i mean it totally it, it really changed that scene yeah. that scene we should put that in the show notes can we do show notes
0: sure we show should notes. we'll
2: we'll add the scene we'll add the scene in the show notes just so people can get a sense of what it sounds like and win that you know when
1: that moment yeah. do you have a can you do a before and after on it probably yeah no we can't yeah, yeah we'll definitely, I definitely i definitely have, have the hats. old version yeah and yeah.
0: uh, what about what about for you Owen? do you have anything specifically that you're proud of like from your whole career that you're like oh man
1: oh man I nailed when it did the, when we did
2: that um this tapping scene in southbound <laughs>
1: the uh I'm trying to think in South the air
2: conditioning unit in that's not mine that's uh
1: <laughs> oh god i don't know his name that's ty's guy out in new york he's awesome and big props because i do cut that sound into a lot of places and that is the scariest air conditioner in the world <laughs> uh i wish i i wish i had his name on the top of my head i'm really bad with names uh, if we haven't noticed from earlier, when I like, what's the thing with the <laughs> <laughs> Walter Murch? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> the Godfather of sound design, yeah. literally the man who coined the term sound designer. Uh, the eyeball in VHS two, Adams phase one sequence in VHS two, where the whole thing's from his perspective, and the final sequence where he goes to plop the pop the camera ball out of his eye with a straight razor. And there, I did a bunch of stuff with um, contact mics, and then just completely broke it and made it really fucked up. And on the stage, people were like, "Oh, this is just noise. We can't use this." And we're like, "No, no, this is this is what it is." Um, in a way that just made me really happy. How we how how that one closed out. I guess when yeah, I guess for me it's like when when we're allowed to take risks and they really resonate and they really they really kick the story up.
2: It also sounds like there's some satisfaction in taking and designing a sound that's created by something entirely different.
1: Well, what I relate my job to the most is I played with Legos my entire childhood. Like, and now I just play with Sonic Legos. You know, I have all my different building blocks in my pool and I kind of get to stream through it and be like, Oh, I need a little... and and then, I mean, And then all together they create you know, yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, and like... That was, yeah, that's great, that's great. And, and so, um, I mean, in an ideal world, we record everything from scratch, process it, do it all through those steps and steps, but a lot of time, especially in TV, I, I'm i just playing with my Legos, and I'm, I'm I'm being like, ooh, I need a little chunk and I need a boom element, I need a crack to make sure that they have everything on the mix stage to balance it out relative to the music and make sure everything really pops.
3: Yeah, for me, I really like... <clears throat> One of the reasons that I like that South Bend one so much is how effective a use of sound it is to help tell the story. And those moments when they really gel are my favorite. Um, More recently, the moment um, in X-Men Apocalypse when Cyclops um, has his powers go off for the first time in the bathroom stall. Mm. like That's one of my favorite moments of that film. Because, uh, and, you know, a lot of credit goes to the filmmakers, obviously. It wasn't my idea. They shot it that way and it was built that way. But when you sit down and look at the scene and how it's played, you know, the big bully comes into the bathroom as, as Cyclops is sitting in the in the stall, rubbing his eyes, trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and he just starts giving him shit and pounding on the wall. And and we that pounding just builds and builds and builds and gets so big and so big to really sort of emulate what he's, what Scott's feeling as he's sitting there trying to figure out what's going on with his eyes, and this guy's threatening him outside. So that, just that pounding and, and the way that it's cut is meant to represent his emotional build towards something. And then, obviously, to accomplish that, we had to build sound, and then whatever happened after that also had to just be huge and powerful and out of control and chaotic. And so the, the development of his first blast had to have those things in mind because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to play the pounding so big and Hmm. it wouldn't have been so effective to really get him the the pounding of the bathroom stall if it wasn't large but whatever came next had to be bigger right so the way that that whole scene is shaped um i think really accomplishes you know what he's feeling and then him finally losing control and just the power of that sound as it just blows the door off and tears apart the bathroom and he sits there with his eyes closed afterwards, shocked, still trying to figure out what's going on, sitting in the silence of, of you know the destruction that he's just caused. Um, and so scenes like that that come together to showcase what sounds can do to tell the story and, and, and to amplify what the characters are feeling, Like those are my favorite. And that's why I like both of those two scenes actually a lot.
2: Well, yeah, and it sounds like there's a lot of range in both of those scenes. It's not just... It's not just loud the whole time. It's dynamics, not just dynamics, quiet. Dynamics, it's dynamics, dynamics, dynamics. For sure, yeah. If
3: you yeah. can build and shoot a scene with, with a sound idea in mind, they usually always gel into something really cool.
1: Right, with sound in mind. You just write in... Yeah, even songs. A window is rattling, and you have one shot of window rattling that you cut. You then have a window rattle to play for the entire tension of your horror scene as your character creeps down the hallway.
2: Yeah, I remember, I mean, on VHS, one of the big challenges for us was and it was for every for every everyone who's i think tried to make a found footage movie that feels like it's playing by the rules or is sort of loyal to the idea of what the format is you have to create a soundtrack without music right and so you rely so heavily on the scariest you know the scariest ac unit you rely heavily on all of these on, on all of these sound design elements and i think that was that was the first time we'd ever been in a mix Oh, absolutely. With, 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 oh, and like on, yeah, it was the first time we'd ever sat down with somebody who had really strong, really strong ideas and opinions about how something, how something was working or could work better. And it was totally, totally changed our perspective on the final, you know, like that stage of the process. We, we had no idea what we were missing, (laughs) we were missing out on until we had that experience. But we crafted this. This soundtrack, based you know, using using all of these little cues and all of these little hidden moments and sounds that, you know, that were all that were all mined over the course
1: of this process, and I, it was such a it was such such an eye opening. I think you guys also don't give don't give yourselves enough credit because that your segment was designed to fuck. You guys had a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> like, it was great. Like, sure, I sweetened stuff, but I did just as much. Like, nope, 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 nope. You know, I did, and, and that's like that's the mixing step. Is like, we bring as designers, we bring everything and the kitchen sink, and then we sit on the stage and be like, okay, no, we don't need that. No, we don't need that. No, the other. Okay, what are we left with? How do we make this shape and this dynamics and that space? Um, but you guys, I mean. You guys built some glitches, like, from dat tapes or stuff that I've used in countless projects since then, All right. by the way. Yeah, those are real I, glitches from our camera. I type in R.S. glitch whenever I need, like, a specific kind of, like, <laughs> really... Are in your library? I, you're in my library. Uh, there's this very specific... <laughs> like, you guys have this very, like... Like, this very subtle one, and then these really hard, like... Ones that I know I can go to my R.S. glitches and, like... scroll Oh, yeah, that one. That's what I'm going to use for this sequence. You know? Um... So don't sell yourself short.
0: What well, is funny because it's the fact we've done found footage with both of you guys, and so obviously talked extensively about it, and because that is, at least from our perspective, an entirely different beast. Where you're like, yeah. how do you stay true to making it feel like it's authentic, and then also, and I feel like we've probably all had this conversation of like, cool, fuck it, how big can we go with this? Like, let's go big,
1: yeah, because big.
0: visually it's just a fucking
1: handheld camera, but like. On VHS two, I got I was allowed to say fuck it, do whatever the fuck you want. It just can't be music.
2: Full Hollywood, uh, which
1: was which was a lot of fun, you know, because there was no score to contend with, and right. like in that whole house, Simon was like, yeah, go ahead, make it make it haunted house, and we can pull it back from there, you know. So lots of different low tones or drones, just anything to make our audience feel uncomfortable, and then we just pull it all back to the point that it's just on your peripheries, and you're like, I'm un I'm uncomfortable, but I I'm not sure why. Yeah, you know. Or with with Adams, the the Phase One one is just like, I just get to go full bombastic on this, you know, and like, no, there's nothing you eating up the sonic real estate except sound. And I mean, if if your if your listeners are independent filmmakers, the best thing that they can possibly do for their stuff is get their sound designer and their composer s- stuffed together before they go to the mix stage. The best thing that w- that you can possibly do is sit with your you know, okay, so I'm I'm on the sound side, so I'm going to be biased in this statement, but, like, get your stems from your composer, sit with, sit with your sound person who has a good sense of sound editorial and go through them with you. You know, like, we do a lot of... I do a lot of music editing on a project, but only with my director sitting next to me with their blessing, you know, because this is also their creative process and so on and so forth. Um, and it's so, so important that both sound and likewise there are times where the score comes in and I'm just like yep I don't need any of the stuff I spent all day yesterday doing because score tells the story here so much better
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and and I guess that I end up circling back around to that humbleness yeah. where it's like you cannot be about your thing yeah. you have to be about this thing um What are the kind of touchstones for you guys
2: what are the what are the what are the movies sonically TV shows sonically that you kind of you go to in your head when you think of great design that's inspired
3: that's inspired you star wars mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just in that age range i think that everything is star wars yeah. um the first good sounding movie that i remember is star wars and i heard a whole bunch of bad sounding movies that were in the same genre after that as well so mm-hmm. it was well ahead of its time
2: and is it do you think it's the originality of the of the of the sounds themselves or is it the full, I mean, mix everything from kind of soup to nuts that feels like it just makes sense and, and has a place uh, in, the, in the the world of the movie? Yeah,
3: I, I don't know how I can quantify what Star Wars is to sound. Um,
2: I mean, it's they've created more iconic sounds in, that, in the Star Wars movies. Yeah, than but, they,
3: uh, they, I mean, they've like also movies. just created expectations and... Um, they set the bar. They set the bar for for everything. Like, yeah. But, I say this a lot, nowadays movies don't sound bad for the most part. Like, There's a few outliers out there that get released, but a movie that goes through an actual studio system in a real sound person's hands, they don't get released and sound bad. But if you go back and you watch movies in the 80s, you know, some of them did.
1: I mean, I think a huge part of that was the switch to digital, too. Yeah. From going from tape to digital, you can hear it happen around 90s movies. Yeah. Like, the 90s people were starting to make the switch to digital. They hadn't quite yet, and you could hear when this show was still on tape. And it was just, there was just a lot, there was a lot more limitations, you know? Like, yeah. as, as slow as, as film, as visuals were to go, to make the switch, we, like, we were like, well, huh, like, within a couple of years, like, nope, nope, this is, this is just better. Yeah. Like I, I never had to cut on movie. All I never had to cut on Same. tape. You know. Like I don't know if I do what I did. If do what I do. If I had to, I'm not sure I have the certain tenacity and patience and and like ability to like process that way. Yeah. Um. But we got so much more power and flexibility, and it was also the time that the shift kind of happened in the power structure between sound editorial and sound mixing. <laughs> Sorry.
3: That it's That's the a sound cute, guy. Cute sound, real cutesy, his, uh...
1: cutesy, chime there, Warren. <laughs> my, door, my doorbell, sir. <laughs> That's your doorbell. <laughs> um, um, but when digital happened, was also when, when the power balance started to shift between sound editorial and sound mixing.
2: In what way? How was it favored before, and how is it favored now? Before
1: no it's kind of it's a lot more it's even pretty close it's like pretty a, closely it, even in a shape mixers used to rule the roost exactly before so, mixers so before, were king because it was because
2: you were getting different reels of of different effects and then you were essentially doing the design in a lot of ways i, I right? think like also just
3: the- it was the size of the crews back then too There were just for for before digital like film uh sound for film like the crews were like 40 50 people like there were too many people and too many things to do to have anybody actually be responsible for something other than what they had to do like some guy would come in and you'd be like your tire squelches you know you're the engine sound and that's what they would do for their entire job for the whole movie because you had to cut on mag and it took a lot more time and a lot more attention Uh, and manual labor to actually make things work and so all of those units go to the stage you know all on mag reels that go all up and eventually all that shit funnels down to at the time probably three and possibly four people on the stage and they're the ones that have to stand in front of the client and claim responsibility because like it's not like now where there's you know one designer and maybe a couple other editors and everybody knows that those people made the sounds and you can talk to me. And even if it's not specifically my sound, I at least had approval of it. Um, And, you know, not to say that there weren't sound supervisors back then either who had that position, but the mixers were the ones that had to stand up and take all the bullets. Right. So they had the right to essentially kick anything back. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, this is not good enough for me to, to, to put up in front of our people, go do it better. But now, so much of the
2: work is happening before the mixer even yeah. touches yeah, even touches the show.
3: Yeah, stuff is much more in the ballpark and much more focused and put together in ways that are, you know, a lot of the the problems that you know ninety percent of the problems that they would have had to deal with back then um, are not even things that we worry about now. Like most of the time, we're talking about some technical issues and mostly creative work that the the mixers get to do now, and they don't have to. You know, unless somebody really messes something up, they don't have to, you know, throw the hammer down. And it's made it so that it's not... I mean, there is a power switch, but it's because they don't
1: need it anymore. Yeah, and I'm not even saying it's a switch. It's it's more an evening, if anything. Yeah, it's an evening.
3: Yeah, the responsibility that editors have for their tracks now because there's fewer people has gone up because you... Can point to one of three people, and, and somebody will say, "Oh yeah, I did that." Mm-hmm. Versus like pointing to the crowd of forty people and like, <laughs> who cut this terrible footstep? Like <laughs> nobody has to raise their hand, right?
2: <laughs> um, what do you do? We do you guys know what the last analog mix was like? <laughs> Some I'm sure somebody's okay. doing it on principle still. <laughs> <laughs> Some, Some purists somewhere, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I asked a version of this question earlier, um, but what would you what would you guys say for someone who's who's interested in getting into sound uh, design mixing? is there Is there a novice mistake that you found you know you, the kitchen sink is a great example, where you just throw everything in and then you realize, wait a minute. no, a great piece of sound design is sometimes actually about withholding and about yeah. playing things more sparse. is there Is there something that you learned along the
1: way that was a real sea change for you in the way that you approached what you do? i I don't know if there was if I can pinpoint an event or something that for me is a sea change. I can talk about it from a perspective of not having gone to a sound school. You know, there's a lot of, like, music engineering slash sound school kind of programs that are like, we're going to teach you protos, we're going to teach you the works, blah, 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 blah. And, um, I mean, I just keep coming back to my same fucking point, really, which is that, like, the, the story comes first. And along those same lines, communication with your director and understanding what they want and being able to jive together is more important than any technical skill. You can always go out and learn the technical things. But the ability to understand where, how a story needs to be told and what best helps tell that story is something you just have to practice and learn and go watch other things and go watch art films and just do as much as possible. I mean, for me, I know five to ten minutes into a meeting with the director for the first time, if our headspaces are, are, if we're gonna jive. Mm-hmm. You know, like y- you guys are, you're rapid firing with each other, you know if it's working, you know if you're on the same page, you know. Sometimes that's that's bitten me in the ass and I've gone and done what I thought this person told me, what they wanted. And I'm like, here you go. And they're like, no, this is totally wrong. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, so you asked for that, but you meant the, okay, cool. All right. Well, I'll fix it then.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that we've said already. The staying humble part is a big part of it. When you're young, it's hard to remember that you know, you don't know everything yet. Um, you get a few years into it and you learn a lot and you look back and you're like, man, I actually have learned a ton. What did I, you know, what was I thinking when I first got into this? Um, but all those lessons basically get you to the point where you have to make the appropriate choices and present them in the, in the appropriate manner. Um, and if you do the coolest thing ever and it doesn't work, you have to live with that and be okay with it because it's not right for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, That can be hard, but it's what you have to do to become good at this job. Like, I think all editing, anybody that's done any sort of editing in any way, whether it's writing or um, picture editing or sound editing, knows that there's something that you're really proud of that you did that at some point doesn't see the light of day because it's not what is important for that moment. Um, And you get to the point where you live with that, and Mm -hmm. it's actually as much of an accomplishment to have that go away um, as it is to have it get in when you really get in the right headspace. Kill your babies. Yeah, yeah. Like paring down and finding the focus of what you need is, it's a hard lesson to get to because you want to play everything because you made the coolest sound, but it's not right. Like you have to find a way to have joy in taking the stuff out. And and I think ultimately that's why, like the scenes that I've mentioned, a lot of those scenes were were the shape of them were found by taking stuff out like too much you know, mm-hmm. too much shit is a problem because it just obscures um, what you should be listening to
1: there's only so much sonic real estate
3: yeah and when we talk about shape and dynamics yeah I mean too much shit kills all of that yep. and too much shit is actually literally a technical term that gets thrown around on the stages <laughs> something gets put up and there's too much shit the mixer will just say too much shit and then we have to go down to start taking stuff out, and you get to the you you're good at the job when you get to the point where you can do that
1: before it gets to a stage and make yeah. choices yourself. But then leave it all muted in case they don't like it and they need to unlock well, yeah, something. Yeah, and that too. <laughs> or, 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 don't throw anything yeah, away. Or be the pre- mute is great. <laughs> yeah.
3: Or, or be prepared to 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 have to cut something on the fly and quickly to, to that if you've you know pared down and presented this idea. I actually find it easier now to present an idea that's simple and yeah. cut more stuff later um, than it is for me to present something that's too complicated and pare it down. Um, it's I think it's easier for people to grasp what's missing and say, and ask for that than to say, just be overwhelmed by stuff and not even be able to tell you. That's when you get the,
0: I don't know, yeah. it's not working yeah. though. Right.
3: So being focused with the sounds that you're presenting and... Um, having the skills to be able to add when necessary, I think that's when you become good. That was
2: The Crawl. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Warren and Owen for coming in. Yeah, next week we're bringing in uh, prop master Ellen Freund, who's sharing a lot of really cool uh, Another master Hollywood stories, <laughs> a, real, a real master in her title. Uh, we had a great time uh, talking to her. So, yeah, tune in next week. You can find the podcast at highradiosilence.com. And visit all of us on Twitter at High Radio Silence.